We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another live edition of the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how you doing? Don't like losing, Nick. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're not really used to it anymore, especially in 2019, only a couple losses. Nets took the L tonight, 114-117 to the Spurs and San Antonio, where they haven't won a game in regulation since 2002. So it's been quite a while. Jack, we'll dive right into it, though. Did you think Shabazz was fouled on that last play? Yeah, but you don't really get those calls in the final minutes unless you're James Harden. You know, Shabazz <laughs> is a lesser light. And unless you're a superstar, you don't get those calls. Yeah, I agree. I, it's tough to get that call that late. I will say the one thing, you know, the refs were too distracted by Aldred's arms when they were up in the air, but his knee literally goes like in Shabazz's ass while he's trying to shoot it. So I felt like he should have probably got free throws. No guarantee he's going to knock them down, but I felt like he probably deserved to get to the line. Oh, well, yeah, but uh, you t- – Shabazz was the only one that made – Shabazz and Damari Carroll were the only ones that made all their free throws on there. So maybe he would have hit them all. I know you tweeted this out on the Nets Republic account. You know, the Nets were terrible from the free throw line tonight, 19 to 29, 10 missed free throws. You don't even have to knock them down all – knock them all down. If you hit five more, you probably win this game. Yeah, simple as that. You know, and we started off the first half not being able to really penetrate the paint, create any contact, and, and a lot of credit goes to the San Antonio defense for that. Um, but in the second half, you know, we started to you know get some momentum on that end. But if you don't make the free throws, it's it's not really going to make a difference. It sort of just slows the game down. And sort of in ways goes to the San Antonio's hands because it gives them some rest, and you know they just like to slow the game down anyway. Play a really methodical style of basketball. But you know they made more threes than us as well, which we talked about as well. Only one, but uh, we talked about that in the pre-game. Uh, they did take you know almost as many as us as well. So. Uh, it, it was essentially the free throws, Nick, because we did very well in, in pretty much all other aspects of the game. Yeah, you mentioned it too. The first quarter, they weren't necessarily great. I believe they only had five free throw attempts in the first half. So that's 24 for the second half. The pace felt higher in the second half, which was good. Obviously, in that third quarter, they scored 38 points. You know, things just were starting to click, and then they kind of slowed down and got out of their offense. 
Yeah, and uh, I think that that last mini run is you know, emblematic of what the San Antonio Spurs can do. You know, the talent of a guy like um, Lamarcus Aldridge, Derek White was hitting some threes, some miscommunications from Joe Harris and stuff on the three. Um, but those sort of lapses cost you games, uh, unfortunately, in today's day and age. And uh, this is one that got away, but, you know, you have to reassess, readjust, and, and go on to the next one. Yeah, I feel like against an extremely well-coached team like the Spurs, you really can't run the zone that long and that late in the game. I think Kenny should have elected to go man-to-man, especially at, like, that two-minute mark. Yeah, um, uh, I think it was effective for the most part. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to you trust your guys. And um, there were some lapses, you know, DeAngelo Russell giving that um, dinky little foul, which he didn't have to. I think it was on Ford, if not White. Um, you know, that's an unnecessary foul, obviously, sending them to the line. So there were just some, some mental lapses which cost you games um, against a quality opponent. Um, you know, there were plenty of things we did well, but just not enough um, at the right time. Yeah, like you said, too many mental mistakes. You know, it was just plays on the floor. Is it missing a three-point shooter? Is it making a dumb foul? Is it just not making the right pass or trying to force something in late in the game? Just against a team like the Spurs being shorthanded, I think you need to play a little bit better and a little bit more engaged for the entire game. Yeah, I mean, we just hung around. It was one of those close sort of games. Both teams sort of went on runs. The third quarter, uh, Brooklyn Nets' signature quarter this season anyway, um, was the one where we sort of were able to go on a bit of a run. D'Angelo went on some mini solo runs. Late Joe Harris, you know, took us back to lead with a couple of threes himself. Um, so it was a game of swing, momentum, um, like a lot of NBA games are. And at the end of it, you know, San Antonio would just, you know, if, if it hadn't gone to OT, you know, I, I would have had a little bit of confidence in the Nets. Um, despite the fact that we were away, because it seemed to me that, you know, we were creating a little bit of momentum, at least um, late, especially with that Shabazz foul and such. Um, but at the end of the day, San Antonio Spurs probably deserve this win. Um, if we had made our free throws, it would have just been a, a very different thing. Exactly, and the Spurs were good from the free throw line, so we obviously weren't. Do you feel like this is a game where they miss Spencer Dinwiddie, especially late in the clutch moments? I think we miss Spencer Dinwiddie every game. <laughs> um, but this one especially, uh, I think... Just being able to probably make his free throws as well. You know, I think you just sort of set the tone from there. Um, I think Shabazz was was serviceable, and there were times where he was penetrating the defense and you know creating open looks, and, and his body control down there was pretty good. So, I mean, we're probably gonna you know remiss on the on the loss of of, of uh, Spencer for, for quite a while. Um, but you know, the, with the cal that we had, you know, we had the capabilities to get this one done. Um, so I think it's it's a missed opportunity, um, but one you can't really dwell on. Well, getting into some of the players, Jack, what do you think about D'Angelo Russell's game? You know, 25 points, 10 to 26 from the field, you know, 2 of 7 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 turnovers. Uh, it's an all-star game, Nick. Um, you know, he just went on his runs. 3 of 4 as well, like you mentioned, 9 assists. You know, the 4 turnovers are probably the, the big thing that was probably the negative part. Um, he made some unnecessary plays, as did... A lot of guys just forcing the issue. You know, Williams courts three turnovers, Joe Harris three turnovers, and Monday three turnovers in only 18 minutes. Um, so you just don't want to force the issue too much because despite the fact that, you know, the, the Nets absolutely exceeded, you know, San Antonio in fast break points, you don't want to give them any extra opportunities and just give them the ball back because they are a clinical team. So other than the turnovers, it was a very good performance from D'Angelo. Late down the stretch, there were some, like I mentioned, some mental lapses. Um, you know, he... His final play where he missed that shot and, and hustled for the rebound. 
you know, got us the opportunity to get the win, which was which was awesome. So uh, without him, we're not in this game. But at the same time, you know, he had some chances to, to get us the W, uh, but it just didn't go his way tonight. Yeah, I thought he played – he was solid. He wasn't one of his best games, uh, but I did appreciate the hustle plays, you know, throughout the game, some of those, you know, getting for those rebounds, poking out for some steals. I think one thing, you know, we saw a little bit better in the previous matchup against Chicago. He attacked a little bit more physically inside for some of his layups, and sometimes he's just a little too timid instead of trying to draw the contact. He's afraid to be blocked, which I think sometimes he just needs to get in there and go, where there's a t- – especially when his teardrop wasn't – or float or whatever you want to call it was a little off tonight. Yeah, I think it was probably more the San Antonio defense wasn't giving him much and were closing out a lot better, it seemed, you know, compared to Chicago. And obviously that created, you know, the timid nature from D'Angelo. Um, you know, there was some video posted by, you know, uh, I think it was Ben Pfeiffer, you know, just putting out the fact that he's, if he can just draw the contact in certain occasions, you know, it just makes the whole, it opens up the whole game for a guy like him and really, you know, takes him the next step. But um, I think San Antonio's defense and their scouting on him was was much better um, than, than the Chicago team. But um, it, it was just, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and, and that's where D'Angelo really needs to take the next step in his game. Yeah, 100%. And like you said, obviously the Spurs are 100 times better than the Bulls. No offense to them. But uh, his, his shot was a little bit off tonight too. It wasn't necessarily like on a perfect touch. Uh, Damari had some really clutch moments in this game. 18 points, you know, 5 of 13 from the field, 3 of 8 from the three-point line, 5 of 7 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, only 1 turnover. You know, it felt like he hit a lot of big shots that either kept the Nets in it or gave them a small lead. Yeah, my point, and I spoke about him sort of being the ancillary piece that would be really important tonight. Yeah, Damari stepped up as he always did, you know, 3 threes, 3 of 8 from the from deep, um, 5 free throws, 5 of 7 from there, just getting some clutch rebounds. Only the one turnover. He's just the net positive, and he was out there in clutch time. Uh, he's just super important to this Nets team, uh, and you know he just does all the right things at the right time. Hits yeah. the shots. He looks confident, which is you know a, a really positive thing for the Nets. Yeah, he looks very active too. He just like looks healthy, fully springy. You know, it's not like he's the most athletic guy, but he just feels looks good out there. Your boy Joe Harris looks like he's getting back in rhythm. You know, eighteen points, seven to ten from the field, three of five from the three point line and a lot the three makes were probably contested threes maybe one of them were was open but joe's getting a lot more attention like we've talked about and he's starting to hit those contested threes a little bit more yeah he's just gonna keep taking them because he knows he can make them it just he doesn't want to necessarily look back to the coaches he wants to be you know a consummate teammate a consummate professional and he is but if he's you're that good at taking the three just take the bad ones joey uh, you know, we, we need him to take you know five to ten at night minimum um, and, and he did that tonight three five from there um, did get that some really strong takes as well, mm-hmm. you know, especially that one on the Marcus Aldridge, which was really awesome. Um, but yeah, there were some mistakes, you know, that defensive laps, as I mentioned, um, Derek White late, and a couple of turnovers, yeah, like a lot of our guys just forced the issue, trying to create something out of nothing rather than just making the simple, the simple play. Yeah, and if he starts to take more contested threes, he's likely to get some foul calls too because guys are trying to close out so hard on him. But like you said, that take on Aldridge was probably his best take of the season. He literally bodied up a guy who probably has 75 pounds and six inches on him or five inches, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, he just does it well. Like, it, 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 I, I was confident in him making that. Uh, I think that's probably one of the, the plays that he seems really confident in. He has you know, great body control, great strength for a guy of his size, and you know, he doesn't really fear anyone. You know, the Marcus Aldridge isn't necessarily Rudy Gobert, um, but he is, you know, a, a very serviceable big man, uh, especially at, the, at, at least on the defensive end. So, you know, Joey Buckets has no fear. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And you, like you said, it feel very confident with Joe going inside, regardless who's kind of in there. He does a great job positioning his body or creating the contact where the rim protector can't necessarily get a good angle on him. The 20-year-olds, you know, showed some nice flashes tonight. Jared Allen had some really nice moments. Rodion's had some really nice moments. What stuck about stuck out about these two? Yeah, I think Jared Allen's offensive game looked really good. Um, he looked confident. Um, he used his, his his tools to his advantage. You know, he's not strong, so he just shows off the spin move. He shows off the craftiness, and he runs the floor hard. Um, you know, that block of the Rose, which he posted, Nick, and, and running the floor as well was, you know, sensational. Uh, and for a guy like Rodion's, you know, 10 rebounds. Uh, it, it looked like he was just super active there. Three offensive rebounds leading the team in that department. Uh, I think that's where Rodion's can, when his shot isn't falling, which it hasn't been necessarily of late, he's looked really good on the boards. And he has, you know, some really good athleticism. And we love his drives, we love his cutting. Uh, so all those things Rodion's continues to do well. The shot's going to fall. Yeah, the three-point shot, that's obviously he's struggling with that right now. I think the one thing I prefer from him is to just stick to catch-and-shoot threes, not the ones where he's kind of coming off the screen or has to make one dribble. But like you said, some of the other stuff from Rodion's was great. One thing that stuck out for me and that we've seen a little bit, just small flashes, is his passing ability. When he had that drive at the one point, the Nets came out of a timeout or a commercial break, whatever it was, got to the rim, dropped it off for Jared Allen for an easy dunk. That's the stuff I like to see. I like him driving to the rim. There was another play where he hit somebody with a crossover, got inside, and he just kind of powered it to the rim. And obviously, he's a rookie, so he's not really getting calls. I think next year we're going to see him at the free throw line a lot more too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really like both of those plays. And you, you sort of expect him to finish with the left on that sort of play you were talking about, Nick. And, and he has the body control and the contortion to somehow finish it off the glass. Um, you know, if he just continues to drive, then the three ball is going to fall. It's, you know, I think that both of them go hand in hand. You know, I, I don't think necessarily we need Rodion's to be, you know, elite from that area yet. We just need him to be a threat, which he is. And I think he's going to get more confident there as the season goes on. You know, we've talked about Karis Levert in the past in terms of his three-point shot, and he's shown some, a lot of improvement there. So it happens. You know, you have your, your waning shooting nights, um, and, and it comes and goes. And, and it's, you know, even the best have, you know, Paul George had it last season as well, so... Uh, I'm confident in, in Rodion's game, and, you know, uh, I think he's going to be a very special player. Best Latvian player in New York, ladies and gents. <laughs> yes, that is true, obviously, with the Porzingis trade. And just like Rodion's is only 20 years old, like, I can't wait till he puts some real muscle on. When he's driving to the rim with his body contortion, like you mentioned, Jack, he's just going to be able to get in there and make some real big plays. And touching on Jared Allen, like you said, we talked about patience. He had a great patience tonight. Instead of just rushing, trying to get that shot up, he kind of took a second, got a couple and ones. He might not have hit the free throws, but still, I really like what we saw from Jared Allen. You talk about that play where he got the block and then ran the floor to the other end and got the layup in the and one. Like, that's the stuff that Jared Allen can do that can kind of push him to the next level. And it's just such an asset for the Nets, especially against a guy like Aldridge who's not going to really beat him in a foot race. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one area where you can get easy buckets. And I think D'Angelo, who is a great passer, can find him in certain situations. If you run the floor, you get to easy buckets. It's like Clint Capella and James Harden have that synergy where Clint Capella just runs the floor hard. He gets like five easy buckets a night because of James Harden's passing acumen. So, you know, if Jared Allen can continue to do that, you know, he's going to outrun a lot of opponents, especially those lumbering centers like Lamarcus who can't get out and break. And we saw Jared knock down a three tonight, which is always fun. That was a really nice story. That looked really smooth. And I think even Kevin Pelton of ESPN tweeted it out. So um, I think it's going to be over. I, I told you that for Net Republic. It'll be over if he can hit that uh, consistently. But uh, he, he looked smooth and, you know, the, the form looks good. I think it was since December, um, early December since he made his uh, last three. But 
you know, you're just going to hit him every now and then, and, you know, it'll come with time. Yeah, I think he started off the season in Detroit knocking down two or three, so everyone was kind of a little overexcited. But obviously, it's going to be a long development, but still, only 20 years old. Expect both those guys to really work on the three-point shot. Uh, talking about some of the other bench guys, you know, Ed Davis did his regular thing, you know, 11 rebounds in 19 minutes. He's just a monster down there, not really much else to say. What would you think about Rode, uh, Rodeon's Rondé and Trevion Graham tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the, 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 they seem to be the whipping boys of the Brooklyn Nets right now. Um, you know, Rondé, whenever he has the ball in his hands, you know, I'm a little bit wary, a little bit hesitant because he can be a little bit out of control. But um, no, I think he needs to be better defensively as well. You know, Rudy Gay was eating him up in a lot of positions as well, which is something that shouldn't be happening because, you know, Rudy Gay, despite the fact that he is, you know, a very capable player, you know, he's aging, has had an Achilles injury. And Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, yes, he has had his injury issues himself, but um, should not be getting cooked by a guy like Rudy Gay off the dribble and such. So, um, And Trevion Graham, you know, I, I, there was this one shot, he, the, the only shot he hit from the night was like a nice spin fade move. Mm. Um, and I think he just needs to be that defensive sword. He would hit the three every now and then. Uh, but him and Rondé, you know, I think they're, just, they're sort of interchangeable depending on you know, who's playing better, who looks better offensively, uh, and who looks better defensively. Yeah, I think Graham does a better job of body positioning and being a little bit tougher. You mentioned Rondé getting uh, taken to the rim by Rudy Gay. And it wasn't even like he was getting beat like foot speed wise. He would just position himself in a way that Rudy Gay could kind of just get a shot up. So it's just like Rondé needs to be better fundamentally and just prevent guys from getting easily to the rim because we know he has the athletic tools. It's just like he can't put it together. And a guy like Trevion Graham, who is not as athletic, but he's probably stronger and a little bit more fundamentally sound, does a better job out there. Yeah, the fundamentals will always make up the talent and athleticism, despite the fact that, you know, athleticism is such an important trait to have uh, in today's NBA. But Trevion does make up for it in other ways, like you mentioned. It. But, uh, you know, with these two, the Nets aren't going to be a, a serious contender uh, as either of them as starters. You know, just to some real talk right now. Um, despite the fact that they both do good things, you know, defensively, hustle, energy, those sort of things, uh, the Nets aren't going to be a real threat. And when one of them is out there, it does hurt the offense quite a bit. 100%. I think these are guys that maybe you can have as your fifth starter when you have two or three all-stars in the lineup, and they can kind of hide that. If he was starting on Golden State, I don't think it would really matter. But on the Nets, they need to have somebody who can provide more offensively. They're both bench guys, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, Graham's paid like a bench guy. Rondé, there was kind of some hope he could maybe be a starter. It's looking like he's going to be a bench player moving forward. So getting that four. Now, talking about that, Jack, we kind of mentioned a little bit do you think the Nets should get active and try to add a four for this season? I mean, yeah, Nick. I mean, if, you, if there's a guy like Trey Lyles on the market for nothing and, you know, Sean Marks can flee Del Demps because he's too busy thinking about Anthony Davis and Colin Meritich maybe um, as well. But uh, I just don't think it's that necessary. I think that it's a, it's a slow process. It's a building process. And there's other teams that are probably going to be more desperate to make moves than the Nets right now because – you know, we've got some guys in reserve in the wings that can add some value, you know. If you had Jared Dudley in Trevion Graham's place and Rondell Hollis Jefferson's place in a lot of these games and moments, you know, I think his steady, his level-headedness and his leadership would, would have a real impact despite the fact that, you know, he's not everyone's favourite player. And, and even Alan Crabb, you know, in that final play where we needed a three, just having that extra threat out there rather than a guy like Trevion Graham, you know, that just changes the entire dynamics of the floor. So... I think that we've got enough guys in reserve that we don't need to really get haphazard about things. But, you know, obviously, Sean Marks is going to take the most calls. 
Yeah, I think you brought up a great point about Dudley. Not necessarily he's an amazing defender, but if the Nets are going to continue to run a lot of zone, having a guy who's experienced out there and communicate well is ideal. And also, Jack, when, like, let's just say, you know, Karis Levert's back or Alan Crabb's back, do you think they should consider starting Rodion's at the four? Yeah, um, I think it'll be matchup dependent. I think that um, reading from everything that Graham has said, um, it, it seems he has earned the trust of, of the coaching staff and obviously for, for defensive purposes, I think he's more likely. Um, and I think I, I, I think even Rodion's could benefit from coming off the bench uh, at times as well. I think that he'd be a, a great spark in terms of what he brings with a guy like Shabazz as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that they're probably interchangeable, um, but it's more likely that Trevion Grant starts because, you know, I, I think that the, the Nets like to have that balance of defense and offense. When they get fully healthy, do you think they'll consider starting Damari at the four? He's just been so great on the bench that you just don't mess with it. Uh, that's uh, that's what I think should start, Nick. Um, but he's been by far the Nets' best wing this season in terms of what he brings and uh, his play, you know, just drawing fouls, making the right calls, uh, the leadership, hitting the three ball. Um, I, I personally would, uh, but then it does leave your, your bench depth, you know, waning somewhat. Uh, as the as the same tends to go, you'd rather be finishing than starting, uh, which Damari has been doing uh, in a lot of clutch moments. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I, like you said, it doesn't necessarily matter a ton if he's finishing games. It's definitely going to be some interesting lineup combinations. Like I think we're going to see Kenny experiment if everyone gets healthy at one point. Obviously, that's an if. Hopefully, we do see that soon. Any thoughts on Alan Crab? Like I was hoping that we'd see him by the end of the month, but it it like we have really no idea what's going on with him. Uh, we have no idea with half the injuries. <laughs> Nick, I wish um, that there was some transparency, but at the same time. It is what it is. Um, I think Alan Crabb, if he comes back, he comes back. Um, you know, is he going to be a solo? I don't think so. I think he's more likely to just kick around for a little bit. Um, and I think he can add something even if he's just a body. You know, eat up some minutes on some nights. Um, and, and I think, you know, with Napier uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie will, will be back sooner rather than later at the same time. So there's plenty of guys in the wings that the Nets don't really need to go crazy about, you know, the Nets need to fall, the Nets need to fall. Yeah, they do, but at the same time, you know, you'd rather just wait it out and see what you can get and keep that flexibility going forward. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider. And like we've kind of mentioned before, I know personally, I think if the Nets were to dump crab, it'd be more likely to happen in the offseason than to happen right now. It doesn't make sense to do it now. Um, you know, there's already one haphazard rash team in New York, and we don't need to be another. Yeah, exactly. So, Jack, any other final thoughts on the game? Anything else you want to touch on? I thought we were really great, Nick, in terms of points in the paint. I think we, you know, nearly doubled, I believe, or were uh, somewhere around that range um, against the Spurs tonight, despite the fact that you know we were out rebounded. Yeah, it was fifty-four to thirty-eight in points in the paint. So, uh, and fast break points as well. So there were just so many elements of this game where we did well, but um, you know, I think the Spurs just uh, were too good at the end of the day, and, and that mini run at the end is is essentially what cost us in those uh, mini lapses. So. Uh, hopefully that allows us to watch some film on the plane and stuff and you know, talk to the vets as, as our young guys like to do, have some film sessions with the coach and then uh, reassess before Milwaukee, I believe. Uh, we actually got Orlando on Saturday. 
Well, so, another, sorry, another yeah, I agree, Jack. I think this is a good learning experience because they were right there. If they clean up the mental mistakes, you know, you're on the road against a good team. You know, the Spurs is a six seed. I think going to this game, they had 30 wins. Now they have 31. And, you know, you're not going to get as many favorable calls. The Nets don't get a ton of favorable calls at home anyways. But on the road, it's going to be a little tougher. And I think there's plenty to learn. And it was a good – it was almost a good test slash, like, humbling event because the Nets kind of need to lose sometimes, especially in close games because – They've, I don't want to say they've gotten lucky, but they've had some nice bounces go their way and hitting some shots. So now they have to kind of learn and grind out some of these close games against better teams. Yeah, you can't DJ call at everything. You can't win, win, <laughs> win, no matter what. Um, Ex- despite the fact that, you know, the, the, the god himself, the champagne, whatever you want to call him. No, I don't really like it. Are you a DJ Khaled fan, Nick? Not really. I think he's yeah. just, like, a good hype man. I mean, he yeah, makes he, good beats. Like, don't give him credit for that. But, like, obviously, he just, like, makes noise in the, in the songs. <laughs> I reckon he's a ghost producer. Uh, yeah. like, like, there's no way that he does all that sort of stuff. And he just he just probably got good connections and knows how to market. But, um, yeah, I think in terms of grinding out these sort of wins, Nick, I think, like you said, it's a learning experience going forward. Um, you know, in terms of doing it against the Chicago Bulls and, and other lesser-like teams, it's fine. Um, but I think, you know, you're supposed to you, you prove against the better teams. Um, so but if we can do it against, you know, we, we've done it against some of them. But if we continue to do it, and, you know, I think each game is just a new opportunity for this team. And um, hopefully the teams around us continue to lose and we can get a few wins in the bank uh, going into Orlando and Milwaukee because, um, it's, like we mentioned in the pregame, will be a pretty tough stretch. Yeah, this is going to be a tough stretch coming up. Just to give a quick heads up, we've got Orlando on Saturday, Milwaukee on Monday at home, Denver at home Wednesday, Chicago at home Friday. Then they got two days off, and then they have Toronto in Toronto, and then they have Cleveland in Cleveland on Wednesday before All-Star break. So I think over this next six-game stretch, the Nets need to come away with at least three wins. You know, at least – it maybe if they get four, that would be super ideal. But I think you need to beat Orlando, you need to beat Chicago, and you need to beat Cleveland, and then you hope to God you can beat Milwaukee, Denver, or Toronto, at least one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably going to be some, some surprises along the way. Um, you know, I think that there might be some, whether it's a surprise loss, whether it's a surprise win. Um, I think that no, no, no win is given. Uh, I think every game has to be earned uh, in today's league, but. Um, before we head off, Nick, unruly start. Will Russell get that final all-star spot? Um, obviously, um, we talked about in the pregame, but uh, let's revisit it. Uh, you know, I feel confident about him. I mean, I feel like he should get it. That doesn't necessarily mean he will. And just kind of thinking about the all-star, like, reserves and snubs and whatever, it just feels like the guys are going towards, like, the veteran guys, like guys who maybe don't even necessarily deserve all-stars this year, but they're kind of getting it off rep. Like, Chris Middleton just keeps coming to mind. Like, he didn't make the all-star team last year, but I felt like he had such a better season last year, and he didn't get in, and now he got in this year. And then Kyle Lowry, like we talked about, he's missed a ton of games. He got in, and he didn't necessarily deserve. I mean, I think D'Lo should get in, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy Butler got the nod. Yeah, Middleton played pretty well against uh, Lennon tonight, just despite you, Nick, apparently. Um, yeah, here me talking this <laughs> but I think D'Angelo, as much as he deserves it, like you mentioned, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, Eric Bledsoe, those sort of guys will probably have the earned respect of like coaches. And, and like I mentioned in the pre-game, you know, it, it's it's going to be tough to uh, sort of crack in. You know, Ben Simmons has had such a great season, um, but Jimmy Butler is sort of like when you think of him, you think All Star because he's like you know a top twenty player and he's top fifteen uh, on a really good day as well. So. Um, you just sort of reward those guys on reputation, whereas uh, Russell has established a reputation 
Um, but it's been a lot shorter, uh, and then guys like Bledsoe and, and Butler. But um, again, you know, just prepare for the right guys. Get the right gear ready. Yeah, and I think uh, like a lot of media people have advocated for Russell, especially because the Nets are in a position that a lot of people didn't expect them to be in going to the season. So that should maybe help. And I guess the only other thing, if I'm Adam Silver, I know that he does kind of refer to the coaches vote a lot of time on this and just goes the next guy up. But like from a league perspective, it would make more sense for them to get another team in the All-Star game being Brooklyn instead of having three people for, you know, Philadelphia or Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, Adam Silver's on Twitter apparently had that, like, ghost um, sort of, um, what, what are they called, the bot ones? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. I don't know Katie, what they're called. What's Katie? Burner. That's oh, what yeah. He's got, he's got, like, apparently he had a burner that he deleted a while ago. We can somehow find that and, you know, spam it like crazy. Um, maybe we can get DeAngelo to win. But, um, no, I think I would be happy with Joe Harrison three-point contest. Uh, I, I mean, I need Joe Harrison the three-point contest. Um, it needs to happen. D'Angelo would be uh, obviously uh, a welcome uh, addition as well to the All-Star festivities, but um, who knows with the NBA. We're not getting a lot of respect these Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I think Joe Harris not getting in would just be really annoying, and it would just prove that the three-point contest isn't about the best three-point shooters. It's more so about like the names because Dame Willard getting in, he's not shooting a great percentage. He's at 37%. He's already made the all-star team for the NBA. It makes more sense to just get more people involved with all-star weekend instead of having the same names. Like it just makes more sense to have as many people as possible, but we could rant about this all night, Jack, as always, thank everybody for checking in comments, listening, viewership, whatever it is. We really appreciate the support. You know, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. You know, uh, subscribe on iTunes, Block talk radio, OGG basketball.com. That's com dash radio. So, and Jack, always a pleasure. Peace, guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.